Hello, and welcome to this series of podcasts designed and prepared by the AEC SMS Working Group on Entrepreneurship. Our group is looking at how higher music education institutions can integrate an entrepreneurial mindset among students and teaching staff. We hope you enjoy the series of podcasts we have prepared for you. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Olaf Bruns and I'll guide you through the show. This time we speak to Jan Beck-Duman, who is a musician, and to Liebe Percival, who is a singer and an agent. But first, Jan Beck-Duman. Hi, Jan Berg. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Look, Jan Berg, first thing, I would like people to get to know you a bit. Who are you as an artist? I am a composer of contemporary music um, and as well as a pianist. And I just started to play organ too. And you are a student, aren't you? Yes, I'm as well as a student. Where do you study? Where you, do you come from? I was born in Izmir, Turkey, uh, and I finished my bachelor studies there. But then I began directly began my master's studies in Zurich, Switzerland. You told me that you did science before really getting into music. So I was wondering, when and how did you fall in love with music? I was quite passionate about like science and physics and astronomy as well, as I was studying in high school. But then we had a music room in our high school in which we had a acoustic piano. And I think it was like, it was the th 10th or 11th grade, like when I first realized that I really cannot, I cannot like leave the music room, like because I, even though I didn't know how to play the piano, I still got to manage to like uh, play the melodies that I hear or whatever, or like I really wanted to see how how it functions and um, how can I manage to play with my both hands while both of my hands are doing like different things. Like it's like, it amazed me like how pianists are divide their brains. What other projects you have been busy with the last years? I basically had like many commissions that I had to mu write music to. Still, I'm very busy with. How would you describe the music you compose? I would call it limitless. I'm, I'm very into the the term of harmony i always consider it as the main main substance to music so i am always looking forward to create like colors and i'm also looking forward to to be understood by the listener who has nothing to do with contemporary music so my music is very uh in a way sentimental uh i would say It might sound like a bit uncanny, but uh, that's fine. That is probably the moment we should listen to an extract of your music. And then, boom, 2020, the new coronavirus came along. What has the pandemic changed for you in your daily practice as an artist? 
my process of composition has drastically changed. I needed to, I have never needed to like combine it with like, I would say meditation before, but like now I see, I feel the need to, um, to basically meditate beforehand to be able to focus. What did you do to, to really stay active? You told me you have been coaching somebody to write a concerto. Tell me about that. One of my professors told me that there has been, had been a, per, a guy like in his fifties who came to him at school and like who asked him, would it be possible for him to be a composer? What did you do with him? I felt his uh, concern a lot because as, as I started like playing piano or composing, I was also quite old for the standards. I would like, I mean, it was quite late. I was 16 or 17, I would say. Now I'm 25. His concerns were more about like, about the orchestration and instrumentation, which is, I would say, which is something you can learn, but it takes time. And it's also, it's a craft. I mean, he was writing a piano concert piano concerto. Um, he had the piano part because he plays the piano by himself. He's also a soft-toed pianist. And like his harmonies are like very exciting as well. But it was all by himself, like without any kind of education. So um, so I helped him. I, be, I, has, I have been a helping hand. I helped him to orchestrate it and it been it has been so fast and in whole corona period we have managed to fi uh, finish finish it so it's it's been great like the whole piano concerto of 50 50 something minutes is just finished this feeling of being able to transmit something of your own experience of your own craft what did that do to you it was a proud moment at the end when he saw like when he had the whole score, something on his hands. And yeah, he was emotional. I was as well, like very, yeah, in a way, emotional and very proud. I haven't felt anything like this before. Do you think teaching or coaching or transmitting your experience will be something you keep doing? Well, yeah, on, honestly, yes, I would gladly continue to do such stuff. I mean, like Corona period was special because many people realized that, um, like the job at the moment, which they do is actually not their passion or it's not their calling. But you could be one of those people who help others to find and to realize their passion. Well, that might be possible, I would say. Jenberg, something totally else. You had an experience before coming to Zurich in learning entrepreneurship skills. T tell us about that. I think it was my third year in universities, university. Uh, I, I was, I was a part of Omega project. It was like in Erasmus, um, yeah, it's Erasmus Plus. It was via Erasmus Plus. And um, there we had people from, I think, five different countries, such as like Ireland, Greece, Spain, Italy, and so on, and Turkey as well. It was held back in Izmir, uh, my hometown. Um, so 
Well, in these 10 days, I would say, I mean, just before that, before then that, I had no knowledge on entrepreneurship. So in these 10 days, we were in groups and we had to develop a project and we had to sell it as well uh, in, at the front of a jury. It was so cool. Has this helped you already now as an artist? Well, yes, honestly. Um, well, I wouldn't be able to find these like tutoring job or like this project of like helping people without knowledge of music, but who compose. So it, it also changed your mindset, didn't it? Yeah, it feels like a dream when I like, yeah, when I first came here, like I'm in Zurich, it's like such a cool city, such a big, huge conservatory, like a music school, art school. But then, yeah, I mean, you're alone after you graduate, basically. You're just alone. I mean, the only chance, the only thing you can do, you can maybe teach in some institution, but it's not easy, of course. Like, there, you would need time. and Or you can seek commissions. And they don't fall out of the blue sky, of course. Uh, yeah, and um, well, I thought that, yeah, I have to... I have to be aware of the fact that I'll be alone, so I have to be fast as I can. Jenberg, if I if I take it by the other end, if you were in charge, which are the entrepreneurship skills concretely that you think should be taught to young musicians and artists in schools? Well, yeah, definitely developing a project. And then the point is, of course, how to sell it. I would want students to basically develop stuff like in groups and I would make them to sell it. And like, uh, if I buy it, it I'll give them uh, like a high grade. John Burke, thank you so much. I think there are a few takeaways for many musicians in what you say. It was a real pleasure talking to you, but our pleasure is not over yet because we have a second guest, Libby Percival, who is a singer, but also an agent. Libby, a very warm welcome. Nice to be here. Well, you're a singer, but you're also an agent. As an artist, but mainly as an agent, who are you? What made you click for music? What drives you? I think ultimately because I, I actually, I'm, I'm an English literature student as well originally. And ultimately, I like communicating. I like conveying texts. I like engaging with people, I think, ultimately. And actually, I really strongly believe that as musicians... Our duty really is to to give hope and to speak about things that actually other people find it hard to absorb in other contexts. And so I suppose that's ultimately what drives me. And what have you been busy with the last years? I started my own management company. I've been working in various different um, with various different other companies for for a long while and with a lot of artists. But I started my own company in 2012 called Perseus. And um, so I've been building that up. Um, since then and obviously still singing not as much as I used to but still singing around that but the primary the primary focus has been developing that um, and developing the artists within that. And then early 2020 the new coronavirus came along how did you react first thing? First thoughts were how are we going to get the artists through this actually and talking to them and working out how we could be creative within that and um 
And and that was very important to me, actually, working out how, if we knew we were going to be locked down for a period of time, how we could keep them engaged creatively. But also, we do have you do have to think about what the future of the music business is, is going to be. And also knowing that if you don't, I mean, knowing personally, if you can't engage, actually, with an audience, then you, there has to be some other outlet to pe- keep people fueled creatively. What were the solutions you found? My artists will probably tell you I was very annoying. I threw a ton of different ideas at them um, so, and, and just kept talking to them and working through them. So some of them involve podcasts, but that's very, you know, that that's obviously that's not necessarily the future of the business. But for the, for the moment, for the initial period, it meant that we could create some programs that were interesting and had content. Um, one of my strong passions is education and music education and you know, we, we, we've also, we also developed a, a series called Sing the Score Extra and, and various um, kind of interactive things as well that meant that the broader musical community, because the UK is made up of a, a lot of amateur choirs and people who just love singing and that's their mechanism for, you know, for friends, for social contact, for a huge range of other things. And it was, it was trying to, it was trying to deliver things that, that meant people could, could have some singing at home and could interact intellectually around pieces that they liked. And um, but apart from that, my um, my partner is artistic director for Voches Eight, the vocal group. And we were sat at home thinking about all of the problems and and talking about what an economic model might be. And so we developed the idea for a festival, which is called Live from London. And we put it on we put it online and we've just finished the last festival and we we had viewers in 62 different countries and we're just about to well we're in the middle of launching the christmas festivals so just for people who who have never seen that what is an online festival I, well i don't know what all online festivals are but i know what our online festival is and i think we try to do something a little bit different so as i as i said to you i think one of the things i believe in is um very strongly is social responsibility and I what we wanted to do in the face of particularly at that point the UK government not having done very much was deliver hope to artists and to audiences as well and to venues and to the whole arts community and to try and find an economic model that gave as much money back to everybody involved as possible so um, this all stemmed from the fact that singing particularly as well had been viewed very badly and of course what you say is a vocal group and I look after vocal groups and I'm a singer myself and it it, it was being classed as dangerous and, and Declan Costello had did amazing work and, and a lot of research and, and, and showed that actually there was about as much risk as uh, with singing as there was in you know talking in a pub for instance and and so we were, we looked at all of that and, and thought, okay, well, we're going to do a vocal festival because that's what we know. We're going to bring on board a lot of artists that we really like. We're going to have a ticket model where the artists get a lot of the income back, but also we can develop working relationships with retail partners, venues, festivals, media partners across the world and give them the opportunity to make some money for themselves as well. And so we put it all together very quickly. We, the content we created, we filmed, we, f- we filmed in the Vocha State Centre, which is in London. We, we've got a 14 camera rig and high tech audio equipment now there. And we filmed, we filmed 
the, the performances as live. And we, we created documentaries that went beforehand. We tried to get up, up close and as, as personal as we could. So, so the format wasn't just like one camera to, you know, one camera to the performer. So it really felt like the audience was in the performance a little bit more. And then we, we, we did artist lounges afterwards. So people could get to know the performance a little bit more. So the, the format is really, as personal as we could make it. I imagine that is immensely supportive for artists. Now, if some, somebody else in, in, in another country in, in Europe wants to support artists, what would be the giveaways? When things are against everybody and when we know we have decreasing audience levels, when we know we have decreasing income, it's really tempting for everybody to be defensive and to protect their own income, to protect their own territory, to really become insular and actually I think the only way collectively as a business and a broader community that we're going to get through it is by actively doing the opposite of that by really working together by uniting by sharing ideas by working collaboratively and not by being selfish about keeping things to oneself and and by being protective about income streams I think the only way we can deliver the message that we want to It's by it's by working together. But something else, if there was such a thing as a back to normal, would you go now with the experience you have now, would you go back to doing things as you did before? That's a really interesting question and one you know that everybody's debating at the moment. Um I think I think not, actually. I think People have been talking for a long time as well about audiences reducing in size, um, about you know how we can make concert halls more accessible to the general public. Well, actually, a very simple solution to that would be, especially with people increasingly working from home and increasingly working in, in split and smaller communities, the answer surely is to go digital as well. I mean, I don't, I don't think live performance is absolutely so important. But if you look at the environmental message that's coming back from people like Attenborough, if you look at what's happening even to the travel business at the moment, we cannot be sure touring will work in the same way. And actually, I think rather than digital taking away from touring, if we want to make sure that we reach broader audiences and we want to get support and deliver our message, I think we have to stay digital in order to make sure that we can keep performing live. Now, there is probably one thing artists are not, well, let's say, instinctively inclined to, and that is entrepreneurship skills and employability. But in your role, working that close together with artists, you probably very well see that they need these skills to keep their head above the water. So what would you say are the skills people really need to teach and to learn? I don't think it's what specific skills anybody needs to learn. I think it's a preparedness to be open. If you can imagine something, then why can't you do it? I mean, there's, there, there should be nothing stopping us. That's why we're artists. That's why we're creative. If you can, if you, if you see something you want to do, then there should, you should feel enabled to do it. You should just go out and get the skill sets. And I think, I think ultimately a, a willingness to be open and to be more contextually thoughtful, And to actually strive for the vision you have and, and not let anything get in your way. I think just that, and instead of feeling like you have to act in one way or feeling like there are particular things that you must learn or you must do or you must stick to, I would, I would say the reverse. Just, you know, anything can be achieved. Just go out and find, go and find out how to do it or go and find people who can help you do it. 
What would be your message to fellow musicians and creators? I think hope and anything is possible. Still, regardless, you know, regardless of the situation in which we find ourselves historically, when that has happened afterwards, there has always been a flourishing of creativity, always, because actually in hardship, we usually find more inspiration because that's, that's what we are. That's, that's who we are. That's what we do. So I suppose take hope from history, but also take hope from the future you imagine and, and make it happen. There is hope in your vision of the future, Libby, I think. That are very wise words to conclude this edition of the podcast. Thank you so much for talking to us. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information on the AEC SMS project, we welcome you to visit our website, sms.aec-music.eu forward slash entrepreneurial mindset for musicians.